Hello and welcome back to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. In this episode, Mike continues our Revive series, looking into how idolatry holds us back from experiencing God's freedom. We are now in the second talk that um, of the series of freedom uh, that David kicked off, and as you know, we 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 talked about freedom from anxiety, fear, and depression. And we just had such a sweet time of ministry last, last, last week. I just remember God's whisper. And as those who were here last week, do you, do you remember God whispering to you last week? Yeah, yeah. And during the week, maybe you heard God's whisper. And while you were walking and while you were on your way to work, maybe you heard God's whisper. And that's just so exciting, the way God can talk to you in a whisper and relieve you from your anxieties and your fears. And this talk I'm going to talk to you about is just share some of my experiences um, about something that holds us captive, as David said, um, from experiencing God's freedom. And this is through idolatry. And this is an area that I've found really hard in my own life and on my faith journey. And as I was preparing this talk, I found myself recalling some of the mistakes I've made personally along the way, where I've engaged in idolatry, sometimes without even knowing it. It's distanced me from knowing God's love and desire for me and to have that freedom that he desires for me. Quite often, it's led me down some really self-destructive paths, which have also hurt other people along the way. And although I think this is an area that I believe God has done amazing work in my heart and in me, I'm still far from the finished article. And to be honest, I still have things that I struggle with. And what I'd like to talk to you about in the next few minutes is what idolatry is, why and how it holds us captive, and how we can become free from it. The Oxford Dictionary describes idolatry as the worship or extreme admiration, love or reverence for someone or something. In ancient cultures and in some beliefs today, such as Hinduism, um, humans attribute different gods to idols uh, or idols to particular desires and needs. They then worship these gods um, in order to gain favor and fulfillment. We read about the worship of idols in various parts of the Bible. In Exodus story, the Israelites, later called the Jews, had their life in, slave, uh, life in slavery at, in Egypt. Um, where they had been integrated into Egyptian culture. And this included the worship of many gods. And the Egyptians had pretty much a god for anything and everything. Um, There was Hapai, the god of the Nile, who was responsible for bringing fertile soil from from its floodplains. As an agriculturally-based society, the Nile was relied on for the success or failure of their growing uh, their growing season, and when um, we get when we get to later on in parts of the Old Testament, we see Baal and 
um, Ashtoreth um, being worshipped by the Israelites. Incidentally, Baal was the god of fertility and often depicted as a calf. And Ashtoreth was the god of, of, of fortune. And we read about Israel being turned by the people that they were around um, to begin to worship these gods. And by the time we reach the New Testament, there are over, over 1,200 years later after the Exodus story, the Greeks and the Romans also had complex system of gods. Now, the God who we follow, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, completely disapproves of idolatry. In fact, he made it the first of his Ten Commandments. That's how important he made it in the Exodus story. We read, you shall not take yourself, make yourself an, uh, an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And although we live in a diverse culture with many different beliefs and religions all around us, in the West, we are impacted by the scientific and more recently the postmodernist worldviews. And these views have removed gods or God from the picture, but have kept the same things ruling over us. Things such as fortune and success, sex and fertility, long life, a good career and status in society. Our success or failure in these areas are more directed to the self rather than a god or idol. And it has been these things that have driven us and given us purpose and significance. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 1 to 3, it says, Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Ezekiel was a prophet. And as we learned from David last week, Prophets were people that were chosen by God for him to speak through. And as you can see by God's response, he's not happy with the Israelites at all. Not because they were worshipping false gods, but because in their hearts they desired material things instead of God. And this is largely how idolatry works today. David Pawson shares that Many people today say that they seem to be getting on with life without a God. They seem to be living life well without the need to pray or go to church. We see our neighbors and they seem comfortable without a God in their life. But make no mistake. People do have a God in their life. There is someone or something that is drawing their attention. There is someone or something that is bringing their meaning and purpose. If you ask someone what is the last thing or, or person you would like to lose or what is drawing your affection so much so that you could never live without it, all people have at least one. So why don't you just take 30 seconds, I think you've got a piece of paper or something, and just write down 
that one thing that, that you can't live without. There might be a few things. Maybe you want to just put it to memory. Something that stands out. For some of you, it might be a whole list. I know for me, it certainly can be a whole list. Sometimes I just can't live without coffee or can't live without cups of tea. Can't live without room service, whatever it is. So now that we understand what idolatry is and what it looks like in the modern world, then why and how does it hold us captive? Well, I'm glad you asked. As human beings, we are created to have certain desires or needs which God has placed in us. These can be used to benefit the world, the world we live in, and ultimately his kingdom. As we are all unique, they can and are worked out differently. But they can also become idols in our lives if we give them too much focus. Neil Anderson and Steve Goss, who wrote the Freedom in Christ course, explain that these desires and needs give us significance, acceptance, and security in our lives. In the beginning, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them to be in his likeness, and therefore to be spiritually connected to him. He placed them in the Garden of Eden, where they received all their significance, acceptance, and security through him. God gave them authority over all the world. This included responsibility to tend to all the plants and name all the animals. How cool is that? Get to name a hippopotamus. <laughs> They even had, a, had the joy of walking with God in, in the garden. They received their sustenance from the garden, and all their needs and desires were met. They had a full sense of the freedom which David described and talked about last week. But when they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Sin entered the world, and the spiritual connection was broken. God removed them from the garden, where all their needs were being fully met to work this out in the world. And it's like kind of being, being, at, being, being living at home for a while, your family home, and uh, where you've been receiving all your significance, all your acceptance, all your security, and then you're not allowed to return home. That's kind of what Adam and Eve felt, what they had to do. They had to work it out on their own. I remember the first time my parents left um, me on my own for three months. They, were very, they weren't very bright parents. No, they weren't. But <laughs> they left me on my own um, for three months, and um, I had to work it all out on, the own, on my own. Uh, they gave me some money to budget and do all sorts of things. I had to do all my cooking. I had to um, pay all the, all the electricity bills and stuff. And I actually ran out of money for food two months in. 
Fortunately, we had lots of trees in the garden, fruit trees in the garden, including avocado trees. And so I got really good at making avocado meals. But as ancestors of Adam and Eve, this is where we are. When we were born, we were not, we were not spiritually connected to God, but still have these needs and desires. On the whole, most of our desires are not wrong. God placed them in us, and therefore, I believe they are a blessing. There are desires like wanting to get married, to have a family, to have lots of friends, stay healthy and fit, to own a house, and to have a career or a well-paying job. We have desires like traveling the world or even desires we put on our kids to have a good education or be good at sport or music or you name it. I see a lot of my significance and acceptance and security all wrapped up in these things. But because of our spiritual connection to God has been broken, there is a risk to the way we pursue these desires, meaning that the freedom we so desperately want can become compromised. We have a world that tells us in order to gain significance, we need to perform highly and our accomplishments need to be great. To be accepted by others, we need to look a certain way and need to be admired. To be assured of our security, we need to have status and recognition. And so rather than the desires serving us and fulfilling our purpose, we run the risk of becoming slaves to these desires. Whether it's getting more money, a new car, or more likes on your social media profile, and scientifically, we now know that achieving these things gives us a small hit of dopamine, which is a hormone. And this makes us feel good um, about what we've done. But we also know that these hits don't last for long. So you know that, that feeling when you put on a new set of clothes or get in a new car and drive it for the first time? It doesn't seem or feel like that on the 20th time. And so we need to keep achieving more in order to keep these dopamine hits coming. And this coupled with the future development, the further development of, of information technology and digital marketing, it's meant that we are constantly in hyper-overdrive um, to achieve our desires. In the 1970s, the average person living in the West would be exposed to 500 and um, 1,500 between, what, uh, between that um, adverts per day. We now are exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 adverts per day. That's, I can't do math, but that's a lot. They're all trying to sell us something tap, that's tapping into our deepest desires and promising us a better life if we choose their product. 
We also have social media apps like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've all used them. We've all come across them. And at a swipe of a finger, we can, t we can tell the whole world the image we want to portray of ourselves. We can buy or sell um, what we want. We can see how popular we are. And as you do that, you can also look at everyone else's profiles and find out just what they're doing and what you're not. And, uh, and, and this can all be done in the matter of minutes. Once we've done this, we receive a small hit of dopamine and the cycle starts again. So we understand what idolatry is and how it can take us captive in the modern world. Now, how do we come overcome it? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. I want to suggest just three things to look at. And there's probably more, but I'm just going to give you three things to focus on. Firstly, we need to know the state of our hearts. We're talking about the inside out in, in, in the mornings. And just, I heard Joe, Joe's talk about three or four times before you did. And every time it just got better and better and better and just spoke to me. And I'm talking next week, which um, is really exciting. But I know how hard it's going to be to follow on from that because it just spoke to me. It's just about your heart. So if you haven't managed to speak to it, to, to listen to it, please do. Just as God was speaking to Ezekiel um, about the state of Israel's heart, we should also know the state of ours. What is coming, what is coming before God in your priority list? What is getting in the way of your relationship with him? That thing that I asked you to write down earlier, does it rule you or do you rule it? In Ezekiel chapter 14, God goes on further to say to them that when they come to him with their requests, instead of answering them, he will only remind them of the idols they continue to prioritize over him. And has that ever happened to you? Has that, has that ever happened to you where you can, you, you, you're crying out to God for something and he's just going, this, this is in front of you. This is a big barrier that's not going away. It might be TV. It might be something. I remember placing my hope um, in, my, in, my, in my late tw teens and tw early 20s, there was always a need to have a girlfriend to fulfill my fear of loneliness. And I don't know whether it was status or I, I, th I, I, th I think I worked it out that it was loneliness. Um, but I remember placing my hope on them. And a lot of the time they weren't Christians. Um, and although I would sometimes pray for them, I often find myself doing things that I wouldn't normally do to please them. And slowly but surely, he would reveal this to me. The day after I met Joe, I remember being so excited. I remember just, just thinking, I've met someone so amazing, God. Um, what do I do? Jesus, 
what do I do? And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and asking God this, and all I got back was in a non-audible voice, seek his kingdom first. Seek my kingdom first. And I did this. And God showed me his heart for our relationship. And we continue to be encouraged by him as we grow together in the love for his kingdom. And secondly, we need to change our perspective of who God is. For most of us, we're Christians. And so can I just remind you, God is the creator of the whole universe. He knows the end from the beginning. He created and formed you, Nula. He created and formed you, Rachel. He created and formed you, Andrew. And therefore knows everything about you. And he knows all your desires and needs. In the first commandment, God tells the Israelites that he will attend to their every need as long as they worship him alone. What a good God. He's going to attend to all our needs. But the deal is, worship me alone. I'm going to simplify it for you. You don't need to worship loads and loads of different gods. You don't need to have status. You don't need to have all, all, all of these desires. You just have to, to, to worship me. And I will sustain you. I will love on you, and you will see amazing things. How amazing. And we see evidence of this throughout the Bible, but just in the Exodus story, um, when they were in the wilderness, first of all, he rescued them from slavery. Then he directed them through the Red Sea. <laughs> then he attended to all their food and water requirements. And then he gave them safety in times of battle, and he took them into the promised land. And that's the God we worship. He will do the same for us if it's just that we worship him. So we need to know the state of our hearts, and we need to change our perspective of who God is. And lastly, we need to grow and foster a loving relationship with him. This, above all, is so important. We sometimes don't realize it, but the songs we sing, the, the talks that we do, the prayers that we say, they're all about getting closer to him. All about getting closer to him, to Jesus, to God, to the Holy Spirit. It's all about a relationship with him. And above all else, this is so important. We sometimes don't realize it. <laughs> we used to sing. Um, I was at a school, and we used to sing hymns. It was quite an old hymn at school, but we sometimes sang this version here, um, or a different, slightly different version. But it goes like this. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. We were, were every realm of nature mine. My gift was still be far too small. 
love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And when you are in a deep relationship with our creator God, you begin to realize exactly what it has cost him to be in a relationship with you. You see, it cost him his one and only son, Jesus Christ. To most parents out there, this would have been absolutely heartbreaking. But not only did he watch him do life on this earth, being put at risk to all the same issues and dangers and even more, issues like fear and anxiety and depression and turning to idols, but so much more. But he had to watch him being hung to death on a cross. One of the most awful deaths known to man. This was done by his own creation, by the very people he loved. But what makes the cost even more significant is this was all intentional. He knew that this had to happen so that his very own creation, us, could get a second chance. So that you and I could get a second chance. So that we can live with, with him eternally. And when you know this cost, and I mean you really know it, then everything else loses its meaning. And every desire or need or idol has no match. It truly is love so amazing, so divine, that it can demand my soul, my life, my all.